faithfulness. And so today I want to share a truth with you that I hope will profoundly change you for the rest of your life. And it's simply this. The world said, you made your bed, sleep in it. Jesus says, pick up your mat, rise and walk. The world says, you've made your bed, now you sleep in it. Jesus says, pick up your mat, rise and walk. Pray with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, words can't do what needs to be done in our lives here today, but your presence and your spirit can. Father, right now across this room, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and you'd help us in this room to hear from heaven. Help us to hear your voice calling us to pick up the mat that we've lied on and to walk for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Title of that in most of the Bibles that you might open up to is The Healing at the Pool of Bethesda. Bezatha. I could, there are a whole bunch of names for this pool. I just don't even know what. How many of you got family members that call you by anything, you know? Hey, dude, little one. Pipsqueak. You don't even know what your name is. You know when you're in trouble, though, when your, mar- your mom uses your middle name, right? Paul, my middle name's Douglas. Do I look like a Doug? What's up? Paul Douglas Conway! I'm like, oh, I am totally going to become unavailable right now. Healing at the pool on the Sabbath, the pool we're going to say for now, the pool of Bethesda. And let me read. After this, after what? After what just happened in chapter 4, when Jesus went out of his way about 50 miles to speak to an unnamed woman at a well and changed her for the rest of her life. And not only her, but she went and told everybody about it, changed an entire city after that happened. I love it because that story is the same as this story. Instead of people coming to Jesus, these next couple of events are actually Jesus going to people. How many of you know that we serve a God that doesn't just always wait for us to come to him? There are some moments where he is on his way, headed to us, regardless of where we're at. And he comes to us. But he says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic, that word, that Greek word used there, Eurystes, is, is, is uh, I believe, actually more appropriately in Hebrew, called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been, uh, that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? That's almost like a sick, cruel question, isn't it? Like, of course. Sick man answered him, yes. No, he doesn't even answer him that. Look at what his replies. He gives him this whole song and dance. Sir, I have no one to put me into the water, into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps in front of, before me. And Jesus said to him, well, we're going to just bypass all that. Pick up your mat, rise and walk. Pick up your mat, rise and walk. The world says you made your bed, now sleep it. Jesus says get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. I love that because there are some things that don't always, there are a lot of things in my life do not happen at once. They happen over a period of time. For instance, my attitude and my um, negativity or my depression or my, 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 my sorrow. Sometimes it takes a season for God to shift those things in the right direction and, and things need to change in me and it, it's just gradual. But yet it doesn't say and gradually over a period of time. It says immediately, immediately this man who had never walked for 38 years, who'd been totally crippled and crushed and helpless, immediately he had been healed. At once he was healed. He took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who's, uh, who had been healed, they said, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take your bed, your mat, carry it. But he answered to them, the man who healed me 
That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? You would think that the point here is the fact that the guy was paralyzed for 38 years and he's walking. That's the point. But no, it's not. They are more worried about the point than they are the person. I have a friend of mine. His name's Leonard Sweet. And he'd say this over and over again to me. Paul, make sure that you don't get the point and miss the person because people are the point. People are the only thing, as my pastor and my mentor Tim Schmidt says, people are the only thing you get to take to heaven, so treat them right. People are the point. They got the point, okay, it's Sabbath, we need to honor God, but it's not as important that he's, he's carrying something around the Sabbath. The fact is, is that he's carrying it because he never could. He couldn't for 38 years. Well, the story picks up a little further, and he says this, it says, Verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in place. Now, if it was me and that happened, I'd be like, yo, let me tell every, let's, let's totally make a video and put it up on the church website, and we're going to totally put it on Facebook, like, hey, this is a church where God totally heals people, and like, look at what's going on, and whoop, bam, you never know what God's going to do. Watch out, these hands are lethal for God's glory, you know? I mean, we would have totally done that, but Jesus, look at what he does. He heals the guy, and he just slips out the back, Jack. He's gone. See, Jesus doesn't have an ego in the way like I do. And he heals the man, he slips out, and here's where it goes. Look at this. It says, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well. I got to give this guy credit. The first opportunity he has to walk, he goes to church. He's walking to the right place. Let me tell you, it is amazing to me how many people where God does a miracle for their life, whether it's healing them from being crippled, restoring their marriage, um, delivering them from drugs. We could give a thousand different examples of this. It's amazing to me how all of a sudden after they, they get baptized or their child dedicated or they get married or whatever, they walk into the church and no sooner do they, they just check it off the list and then they walk back out of the church and they're gone. You would think after God does an incredible miracle for them, they're like, I am doubling down on this relationship, Jesus. You are going to totally be annoyed because I am not going anywhere. And Jesus says to the guy, man, you know, credit to you. Good thing. You're in the temple. But he says this to him. This is what stands out to me. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. He says, see, you're well. And then he goes and he goes, sin no more, that nothing worse will happen to you. We'll unpack that in a few moments. The man went away, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Uh, I appreciate the work ethic of the Jewish people. They don't have eight-hour days with union coffee breaks and half-hour hour lunches. They work sun up, sun down, six days a week, sweat, tears, blood, grind, but... They rest hard, dedicating a day to God. You, if I could just speak to you pastorally and practically for a second, you are a machine. Some of you are like, that's right, I'm a machine, right? You are a machine, but your machinery is designed to work hard six days. But if you try to make it work hard seven days, it will break down. And your solution to the strain in your marriage to the strain in your health is work hard six days but take one off and get renewed how many of you are like yes i totally i mean sabbath is so important to our life but we can't get so wrapped up in this that we get the point and we miss the person jesus even said like how many of you if your donkey fell into a pit or your car broke down on the side of the road or would not stop and do that on the sabbath like god's a practical god but as much as you can block off sabbath you know it's like you got a friend who's moving right hey how many of you ever have this happen i moved like i don't know how many times way more than we ought to nine nine right my wife's laughing this is an inside joke right here we just we just followed god and and uh, sometimes followed our own impulses to our own demise, but like nine times. And I remember one time, I'm like, bro, I totally need help moving. He's like, sorry, can't. Sabbath, the Lord told me not to do nothing. 
I'm like, I work for the Lord. He told me you need to be there helping me out. But I'm like, I needed this help. And he's like, I can't. You know, I, I say all that to say this is that we need to be very practical in our spirituality. And, and, you know, God is, if your mom calls you up and is like, honey, I need some stuff. Move. Sorry, mom, can't help you. It's the Sabbath, you know. Work hard, but rest hard. Now, here's a couple of things, and again, our point here today is really simple. The world says, you made your bed, sleep in it. Jesus says, man, pick up your bed, rise, and walk. Like, be whole. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't leave me in the place where I'm at. He brings me to where he wants me to be. But the, the, the interesting thing, some of you know this, but I, I've been back and forth to Israel many times. I've taken professors, I've taken uh, pastors, I've taken Bible college students, and I've taken parishioners. And just FYI, throwing this out there, one year from now, on March 15th, we are taking potentially a 12-day trip as a church to Israel. We'll be getting that information out to you soon. We'll be going with several other churches. It is going to be an absolute opportunity of lifetime. Hope you can make it. Hope you, you believe God. And as a pastor, can I just be practical to you? If you need to finance the trip on a credit card and leave it paying interest, this is not God's trip for you, and that's not God's choice for your finances. It needs to be practical. And I just need to say that for a handful of you here. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Of course I won't do that. But um, it, it's important. But when I go there, I usually don't always take people to the Pool of Bethesda because it is the most confusing archaeological site in all of the land of Israel. Let me just show you a couple of things here. I'll be like, let's go to the Pool of Bethesda. And boom, there it is. Everyone just go, ooh. And then look at this. Go, ah. And you'd be like, what in the world is that? Now, you have to know what you're looking for to even extrapolate or get an idea of what in the world it is because some of the colonnades are still in place that are there. And some of the plaster on the retaining pool that was in there is still there. But if I were to take even experienced uh, teachers of the Bible, if they do not know what they're looking for, you won't even catch this. And it is so incredibly confusing uh, of a site that, you know, it's just not restored and intact. But it looked something like this. And what's interesting is, is the Bible verses that we just read in verse 2, it says that it had five colonnades. And for the longest time before this place was discovered, you know, people are always going to say, you know, the Bible, it's made a bunch of stories by a bunch of guys that made Jesus their hero and gave him superpower, superhuman, superhero status. And, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, oops, look, Pilate's a real person. Here's an inscription. Oop, look at this. Here's this. Oh, look at that. Here's this discovery. And I remember taking my son Andrew and we were over there as a family and he looks at me he goes dad dude that's my other name that's what the d stands for is dude he goes dad he goes bible's real i go yes andrew it is he's he's like look like these are real places this isn't made up stuff and i'm like Yes, it is, son. Yes, it is. And it, it just all of a sudden just clicked and connected for him. And for the longest time, they're like five colonnades. Like, this is weird. Until they realized that it was two of these pools, two, a, a square with one middle section, and, and was like that. And the top half would fill. There's more stuff. In fact, this is just weird, but I've got a handful of you that are just geeks. This, by the way, is a very intelligent community there are many of you that speak two and three languages and can I just say something for the record just because someone speaks with an accent does not mean that they are stupid in fact it means that they are smart that they can speak your language and the other language and a language on top of that so we're a very intelligent community here and so just just so you know there's a book out there it's the it's one of the better ones Jesus and archaeology it's one of the few ones that has the most stuff uh, great thing to add, those of you that are Bible college professors, if you don't have that book, it's a, it's, it's a good one. But he talks about stuff well, way beyond uh, uh, more than anyone else of all the stuff. I mean, I spent like 20 hours looking through language, looking through archaeology, because it's so confusing. So confusing. And here's the thing, it's not just confusing from an archaeology point of view. Uh, it, it's like, what's the purpose of this pool? And some people are like, well, it was near the sheep's gate and they would wash the sheep in there and blah, blah, blah. Well, in simple, let me just help you this. In the land of Judea, in, in, of Israel, they had these things called public mikvahs. We actually have one in here. It's called a baptismal tank. And whenever you would go to temple, you would immerse yourself in water and it was like a symbol of like, God, I'm cleansing my life. I want to enter into your presence pure. And they would do it for different ritual reasons and those kind of things. And if you converted to the faith, you would do it that way but this was a big gigantic 
upper section that would hold the water and they would pour it into the lower section. People were not taking baths out in public. It, they, 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 they didn't do that. This is actually one of these things where they would go in and they would immerse themselves in the water and then they would take off to church. And if any of you have ever done summer camp with middle school kids, you're like, oh, let's bring it back, man. Imagine getting your middle school teenage kid to take a bath before they go to church, let alone take a bath ever. You'd be like, thank you, God, in your wisdom, you knew what you were doing. The language is confusing on this. Can I just machine gun something out to you real quick and just sound really intelligent? Here it is. Okay, we've got about maybe one person, like Dave, I called him up on the phone. I was like, Dave, you know, this is Aramaic, this is Hebrew, this is Greek, da -da 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 -da. and then I said, what do you think about this? And he's like, yeah, I found the same thing as you did, except the one other thing I found is an alternative name. This is the place of outpouring. It's written in the dual format in, the, in, in Aramaic at the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so there were a whole bunch of names for this place. We don't know what to call it. We call it the Pool of Bethesda, and that's where scholars have landed, but it was also called the, the Pool of Bazatha because that's the name of the valley that it's near. It's like the pool near Bazatha. Okay, big deal. Who cares? Right? And then you've got all kinds of other names like the pool of Beth Hesed, which is the pool of God's loving kindness, or Beth, Beth Hesda. It's like there are some letters and some pronunciations that don't translate from one language into the other, so they just smooth it out and they try to make it. Here's the thing is, is that it's written in Greek, Beth Hesda, right? But in, it's actually a Hebrew word, Beth. How many of you know someone named Beth? Do you know what the name means? House. The house of Esda. Okay, what in the world does that mean? Beth Esda. We're not really totally sure. Guess what? Who cares? Here's the thing. The closest I could give to a name to this of the place has been what the early Christian church did where they finally moved and called it Bethesda saying it's the pool of God's mercy and grace. How many of you know what an honor it would be for us as a church to be known as the place where God's mercy and grace is available to anybody who needs it? How many of you need mercy in your life? You need God not to give you what you deserve. Lord, please, I know, I know I deserve to totally be corrected for this, but I acknowledge it. Please forgive me. And God just extends his hand of mercy and says, I forgive you. I grace you. How many of you have ever received God's mercy in your life, right? But it doesn't stop there because mercy is God giving you what you don't, what, what you deserve, what you deserve. That's God not giving you what you deserve. Let me say that one more time. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. But then God's grace, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. I remember just a couple of weeks ago, I was looking back over my life and where I was at and the trajectory of disaster and how God came into my life with mercy and forgave me, but then all of a sudden didn't just stop there. He began to bless me with things that I didn't deserve, and I was like, oh my goodness, I've stolen a 30-year life of goodness and blessing and kindness from God, and the Lord's like, you didn't steal anything. You didn't deserve this. I gifted it to you because you're my son, and I love you. You might be here today, and you might only be able to think about what you don't deserve from God, and you're right I love how James Dobson said it like this. You may not, you will never be worthy. You are right. If you're like, I'm not worthy, you're right. You're not worthy, but you are not worthless because God gave his son to die for you. And that's how much he values you. But then he didn't stop there. He continues and he blesses us with blessings that we could never earn, merit, or deserve. And you will never be good enough. And this is the thing about God's grace. If you wait around to be good enough, if you try to be a better person in order to earn the merit and favor of God, you're going to waste a lot of time of your life. You're going to cry a river of tears. And you're never going to get to where God wants you to be because God's grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. He's giving you what you don't deserve. You can't earn this thing. How many of you are grateful for Jesus who's given you so many? He's given you peace. He's given you hope. He's given you joy. He's given you a family. He's given you provision and he's given those things to you not because you earn them he's given them to you because he loves you and if you're here today and you don't have a, a tight relationship with Jesus Christ let me tell you something he not only wants to bless your life with mercy and forgive you for the wrong you've done he wants to bless your life with grace and there is a place of grace and it is called Bethesda because it is the place where God not only gives mercy of what we don't deserve and he holds that back but he gives us blessing and kindness it pulls us out of a crippled state. 
Bethesda, Bethesda. And the world says to you today, you made your bed, now you sleep in it. How many of you ever had anyone say that to you or you thought that to your life? You're like, I got myself into this mess. I deserve to be here. I better get comfortable because you know what? You are absolutely right. You definitely made your bed and you're sleeping in it. Some of us get ourselves into difficult situations of our own accord. I do not need the devil to ruin my life. I can totally do a sufficient enough job on my own. How many of you can agree, would agree with me? Like, I'm totally with you on that, Pastor. Like, like I can totally self-destruct my life 10 times faster than the devil ever setting himself against me. I am a wrecking machine for all the wrong reasons and wrong directions. And when I am not connected to the grace and mercy of Jesus, I am the most self-destructive individual in the universe but it really doesn't matter whether it's my fault or someone else's that I'm in that state the world might say I've made my bed I need to sleep in it but that's not what Jesus says to you this morning Jesus looks at you and he says the world says to you you made your bed now sleep in it but my mercy and my grace says to you pick up your mat rise and walk in the name of Jesus it blows my mind that this is really an, uh, this is really part of the story here is a story of proximity. See, it starts off and it says in verse 2, it says, in Jerusalem by the sheep's gate. Now the sheep's gate is something that was built by Nehemiah and we see that in Nehemiah 3.1 and you can read that, it's all there for you if, you if you care to do that. But trust me, Nehemiah built the sheep's gate and we believe we believe it's at the northern section of the, of the city, and it has to be because it, this pool is near the sheep's gate, so that kind of affirms that. But here's the crazy thing about the story, the proximity of where this pool and this crippled man was to the temple was about 38 yards. Now, not exactly. I'm using it because, you know, he was there 38 years. But about 38 to 50 yards from the temple is where this pool and this man is. 38 yards from a place that should, let, let me tell you what, church should be a place where crippled people and crippled lives, people crippled not only physically, but crippled emotionally, crippled by fear, crippled by addiction. Church should be the place where we can find healing in Christ, where God looks at you and sees you in your situation and says, get up, pick up your mat, walk. You don't have to live your life there. That's what church is about. That's what Jesus is about. You would think he's only 38 yards from the temple. Something would have happened in this man's life, but it didn't. It's crazy to think that this man was 38 inches from the water that stirred where he could have gotten a miracle. I love, uh, how many, some of you probably heard a, a great speaker named Christine Kane. She's totally a maniac. And uh, she would claim that she takes this, this quote that I'm going to give you. It's hers, but she stole it from Stephen Furtick, who stole it from, from Craig Rochelle. And everybody in the preaching world steals from everybody else. I'm just giving you the quote so you know that I'm not trying to claim it for myself. But she does this. She's like, watch this. This is totally, totally crazy. But here's this guy, 38 years, and he's like, He's 38 inches, and he's like, I just, my miracle is right here if I could get to it. And she says this. She says, you would think, like, if he just an inch a year, that, like, after about, like, maybe 38 years, he'd at least be in this place where he could have just, like, rolled into the miracle. You would think, like, he could have gotten a miracle that way. But no, he sits there for 38 years. I'm going to walk in front of the speakers, and I hope it doesn't feed back, and I know that that sound team is going to watch out for it. Yes, can we give them a, some thunderous applause? Thank you, Matt. So, the man's there 38 years. And I've been in church work, not as a church attender, but as a church leader, I've been in this 30 years now, not even 38. But it is amazing to me how many things in my life have been like a walls of a chasm separating me from hope because I've had disappointment on one ledge on one side and disillusionment on the other and hope taunts and teases me way on the other side and there is no way I can seem to get across to find the hope that I need. I always hear people say the longest distance in the universe is six inches from your head to your heart. Can we just say 38 for the sake of the story today? The biggest distance in the universe is 38 inches from your head to your heart. And here's the thing is, is that although I get that in an intellectual world and in academics where I've been for a long time, the head definitely gets away 
uh, and gets in the way of the heart. But I've also found that the same space can be just as lethal, that the biggest distance in the universe is the 38 inches from your heart to your head. Because many of us are stuck in a place because of what we feel, and therefore we feel this way and we become discouraged and we become despaired, then we never allow ourselves to think that maybe God could actually do something for us. Because why would he? Because I'm nothing. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I, I should have gotten this right by now. It's amazing. Your head won't keep you alone from the things of God, but your heart can keep you from those things too. What's the chasm of disappointment and discouragement in your life keeping you from being fully walking in the walk that God has for your life? What are your chasms and cliffs of discouragement and disappointment? And it just speaks to you, well, you just got to learn to live like this because it's not going to change. You might as well make peace with it. Well, the world says to you, you're too far away from the opportunity and hope don't move. You're stuck. You can't change. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says this, the world says you made your bed, now sleep in it, but I'm going to cross the chasm and fill the space with grace, and you may not be able to reach the miracle that is irrelevant because I am a God who closes the distance between you and your discouragement. The world says you made your bed, sleep in it. Jesus says I'm going to close the space with grace. Pick up your mat, rise, and walk. That's who God is. And what's amazing to me is, is if you look at this, and I don't want to land here too long, is that people cluster together according to their kind. Look at this. There, verse 3, there lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. How many of you know, and this is, this is actually a Christine quote. This is a Christine Kane quote, but this is kind of good. How many of you have ever found that all the gossips in the church seem to cluster together and find one another so they can share the story, right? And all the negative people seem to find each other and they gather together and they seem to reinforce their, their, their narrative. And, and all the positive people, right, tend to find each other and they kind of get, get together. And what I'm saying here is, is that sometimes you have to be careful who you surround yourself with because you become like them. It's easier for you to pull somebody down and then somebody to pull you up. And if you're surrounded by a group of people in your life, maybe outside of this church. You know what? When I came to Christ, this is a practical thing for those of you that are new in the faith. When I came to Jesus, I realized if I'm going to stay in Jesus, I need to end some friendships in my life. Sweetheart, can I tell you something? If that man is in your bed and you're not married to him, you, you, there's no hope of you for a future with Jesus. Because light and darkness don't dwell together. This is a practical decision. You need to make some change in your life. Don't say amen to that too hard. We don't want them to feel too bad. But I'm just, just, and I could throw all kinds of stuff in here. Maybe you're, you're in business with a partner and his ways are crooked. You know what? When they totally lift off the lid and they totally investigate what's going on, you're going to jail with him just as much as he's going to jail with you. Except the problem is, is that it's going to be his fault, but it's equally going to be your fault because you just thought you could hit cruise control and stick around there. You, you might be clustering with certain kind of people. You need to find some new friends. But here's the other side to it, too, is, is that look at what they are. They're the lame, the blind, the this, the that. They got labels hanging off of them. And if you're not careful, your dysfunction will define you. If you're not careful, you will create a label that will be a stable that will cage you up when God intended you to run free, hard, and fast through the universe for his glory and his honor. Just a while back, my wife and I went through a very frustrating, disappointing, and discouraging situation. I would personally say she was very, very wronged. But one of our friends, Susan Palo, a good friend of ours, somebody you remember, Tony Palo, that came here uh, recently. I was on the phone with him just the other day, but his wife said this to my wife. said, Diana, do not let this situation define you. How many of you have ever found yourself in a situation where it just goes all wrong and then all of a sudden it just comes out with this defining label that people want to hang around your neck and then all of a sudden you allow that to become your identity? Don't let anyone hang an identity on you. You, you got to, and listen, I just use that as an example, but, but like, man, Jesus looks at us and says, listen, I've got a label for you. It's called mine. 
I'll never forget the most beautiful moment recently in my life was at a, a gathering of Christians, and they did this thing. They said, you know, God gave Jacob a name. He can give you a name. So I'm like, okay. You know, sometimes this really goes weird, right? You know, people rename themselves in Jesus. It just sounds, sometimes like church things we do as church people is just weird. How many of you could identify with that? You've watched stuff and you're like, man, that's just not, right? Someone's like, my new name is Vivovivando, you know, which God told me means this, that, and the other thing. Like, come on. Like, okay. But, so I'm not talking about like weird. It was really a beautiful thing and it was a beautiful moment. And they said, God wants to speak life into you a new identity and so they this there were there were probably about like three thousand people across the room and and so then they were like you know hey what did god speak to you and people were like victorious you know they had all these different names and i'm kind of sitting there and i'm kind of a you know it was a very low moment in my life and i'm just like man i just don't feel like up for the challenge of of i just no joy no bounce in my step and while people were doing this, and I'm like, man, God isn't even talking to me, all of a sudden, I just heard Isaiah 35, 1, I think it is. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And I was like, oh, I don't need any other title over my life other than mine. I'm his. I belong to him. Reputation is what men think you are. Character is what God knows you are. No man can change God's mind about who you are. You are his. You are loved by him. The world says you made your bed, now sleep in it. You, you had a behavior that chiseled out a label. You live with it. You hang that, 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 you remember when they used to stick on the back of you in middle school, kick me hard, and everybody's kicking you, and you're like, what in the world? Sometimes we create identities that almost invoke kind of response on us. God removes all of those labels and he says, the only label you need on your life is mine because you can't do it. You're not going to be any of those things. I'm going to close the difference for you. I have a new label for you. It's mine. The world says, you made your bed, sleep in that label. Jesus says, pick up your mat, rise, and walk. You're mine. You're his. But this is the kind of cool thing in this story. Jesus kind of flips it a little bit, and he says, uh, I got a personal question for you. In order for me to tell you to pick up your mat, rise, and walk, I've got a personal question for you. Got some fine print. Okay, what is that? He asks him this question. Listen to this. He says this. He says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? That's almost kind of like a sick taunt, isn't it? It's like who wouldn't, if they were totally crippled not want to be that's like almost like thank you very much captain obvious that's a pretty straightforward question but no you know what i've come to learn the truth of the matter is is just because there people will always say they want to be healed but not everybody really wants to be healed not everybody really wants to be made whole not everybody really wants to be transformed because there's safety and security in the dysfunction you know than the one that you don't let me ask you this question. Do you want to be pitied or do you want to be healed? Do you want to be coddled or do you want to be cured? Do you want to remain in control or, or do you want to remain crippled? Let me speak to that issue real quick. I'm coming to find that the biggest toxic sin of the universe in the kingdom of God right now is not heroin. It's control. Because God says, I abdicate control to no one. I am God. I am, listen, you want to behold, heals what God will come to you and he'll say, I'm going to do these incredible things for your life, but in order to do it, you're going to need to do it my way. And the thing is, is I've watched people that hold on to one branch and they refuse to take the leap and let go of it to get into the new thing that God has for them because they don't want to take the risk. They don't want to take the leap. They don't want to let go of control. But if you want to see amazing things happen in your life, you need to let go of control the same way that people need to let go of heroin because God wants to be in control of your life do you want to be in control or do you want to remain crippled do you want to be made healed do you want to be whole you got to give up control to God you don't work it out the way that you want it you don't say okay I'll do these parts of what you want God but but these are the things I'm going to God God God's like no this is an unconditional surrender if you want to be healed do you want to be healed do you want to be trapped or do you want to try to walk do you want to pick up your mat and walk or do you want to continue the life of crippled being in existence 
See, I ask myself often, what are the things that I have learned to live with that God never intended me to? And God challenges me, Paul, do you want to walk? Do you want to be made whole? Do you really want to be made whole? Because if you want to be made whole, you're going to need to give up your control and you're going to need to allow me to be in control. That's a scary thing. Well, the guy, it's kind of interesting how he responds to, to Jesus because he's, you'd think it would be like yes, no, right? Like I love those yes, no kind of responses. You can totally like check, done, on conversation over move on get back to whatever it is that you're doing right that's not what he does he turns to him and he and he gives him these interesting explanations one of the verses in the esv it's not in there but it's in the king james new american standard new rise standard there's debate on whether somebody got really excited and added this verse in there but but all of a sudden the guy responds back to jesus with an explanation he's like well before I answer you of whether or not I want to be made whole, let me tell you about like some paranormal opportunities to get healed here and some personal remedies that, we, that are possible because I can totally still be in control and totally make God work out for my life here. And it reads like this, John chapter 5, verse 4. An angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever the first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made whole from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. That's really cool kind of way of doing it. Now the, uh, the, the version that we have basically just, he says the same thing, but it's kind of more medicinal. It's a hot spring. When the water's bubbled, people jump inside and everything's cool and we're all made whole and healthy. He gives a paranormal explanation. Well, you know, an angel stirs the water. I could get healed that way. Or a physical remedy. You know what? It's hot springs when the water's stirred up. And today the world says, hey, listen, if you eat like this, you can totally cure your cancer, your depression, and your fear. Um, I've got a friend who is actually making $10,000 a month now on essential oils. Here's the thing. We got this essential oil kind of like vaporizer thing in our kitchen. I came in a while back and, and I'm like, hmm, that smells nice, you know. And I totally felt healthy because like how many of you would rather walk into a room smelling like nice cologne or perfume as opposed to like garbage or decomposing rats and, and skunks, right? Like so it, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this smells really, really nice. How many of you know that colors can impact your mood and effect, right? There's a, do you know why McDonald's paints everything yellow and orange? Because those colors are like, hurry up, get out of here! How many of you know that I contemplated as a cruel joke to paint the nursery and toddler room orange and yellow? Imagine the chaos in that room. No, there is a reason why it is painted soothing green. Your kids walk in there and like, oh. And those of you that work at nursery and toddler church are like, that is not how they behave in there, Pastor Paul, and the color's not doing it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That they're like, hey, use these essential oils and it'll stir the water. Nothing wrong with that stuff. Here's another one, paranormal one, right? I hear people all the time saying, yo, my guardian angel's looking over me. My grandma who passed away, she's an angel watching over me. I don't know about you, my grandma had a wooden spoon and if that is my angel, I am really upset with heaven. And I am grateful that I am out of the reach of her wooden spoon. There is nothing in the Bible that says that people that pass away become angels that watch over you. And besides, angels are second rate to anything next to the God of this universe. I want Jesus watching over on me. I want Jesus. God says, listen, I neither sleep nor slumber. I know everything. I see everything. I'm on top of it. That, and listen, people go through and the world says, you know, act like this, eat like this. There are a lot of cripples who run away to all kinds of remedies to avoid total surrender to Jesus and people that kind of give half opportunities to God well you know I'll just kind of go once in a while I'll kind of plug in occasionally and you know I'll go Easter and Christmas and and listen listen this thing works when you give total surrender to Jesus what's so wrong with Jesus anyway isn't it time we just gave him a chance completely and the world says use this for your healing Jesus says let me give you your healing. The world says, you've made your bed, sleep in it. Jesus looks at you and says, pick up your mat, rise, and walk. And there's personal responsibility to this too. Look at this. Guy says this in verse 7. He says this. He says, sir, I have no one to put me into the water, into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm 
going, another steps in before me. Another person steals my blessing, robs my miracle. You know, amazing, a cripple couldn't move to the water, but he ran from, from anything that could possibly be that. And I know this is cruel and we're picking on somebody who's crippled here, but, but think about this in a metaphoric sense, about some of the excuses that we give why we can't walk for Jesus, live holy, be kind, break free from our addictions. What is it that cripples you here this morning, that keeps you from walking the walk that God has for your life? What is it that's doing that? Listen to this. Somebody not taking personal responsibility to participate in the miracle says things like this. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. Someone needs to do this for me. Put me in the pool. Maybe it's financial. You know what? If that rich person just wrote that check, my problem would go away. And then some people, it's kind of like this. It's like somebody robbed me of my miracle because the guy says another steps down before me. The question is, do I want to be made whole or do I want to keep making complaints and excuses of why nothing has changed in 38 years? Listen, the excuse and the abdication of those kind of things will keep you in the same place 38 more years. You don't need somebody to put you in the water. You don't need somebody. You need someone, and his name is Jesus. And he has the miracle that you need for their life. And he has the power to change you for all eternity. And we need to take our eyes off of other people and start putting them on him and him alone because he's the only one that has the authority to say, listen, the world says you made your bed, sleep in it, but I say to you, pick up your mat, rise and walk. Walk straight in a crooked world. Walk away from that sin and into my grace. Walk away from that depression into joy. Walk away from that addiction into freedom. Walk away from that marriage that's falling apart into a marriage that's being stitched together in power and grace. Trust me, walk towards me. Pick up your mat, rise, and walk. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as I close, I just want to leave a couple of thoughts here. The last is this. The Bible says that in chapter 5, verse 14, later on in the story, Jesus finds him in the temple, good place to be. But he says to him this. He says, see, you're well. You're well. Sin no more that nothing worse happens to you. Now, this begins to give rise to the fact that is everything that's wrong in my life my fault because I'm doing sin? And the answer to this question is absolutely not. In fact, there was a guy that was born blind and his disciples were totally dialed into this lie. And they said to Jesus, they said, who, was, who, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it, was it his mom? Was it his dad? Obviously, he couldn't have done it. But if he was born and then he became blind, the question might be, you know, why is he stuck in this place? What did he do that was wrong? We all want to blame stuff. Jesus said this. He says, no, neither his mother nor his father. It's not an issue of who sinned that got him in this. But this happened that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. Have you ever thought that maybe you overcoming the challenge that you fight with, that you need faith for, might actually be in there as a challenge from heaven so that, that, that hell looked at you like, he did it, Job, and God said, Job said to God, you know what? This person serves you because you love him, but if you strike them with sickness, if you take away their money, if you ruin their family, if you take away their kids, if you make them in bondage, they will curse you to your faith because they're a piece of garbage. They're a piece of trash. They're not even worth. Why do you even die for these people? Why did you die for them? Why do you even care for them? Why do you even want to rescue them? God, they're garbage, and you know it, and I know it. So just let me strike some difficulty in this man's life, and I give guarantee you I will show you what they're made of because they'll only serve you and love you if it's going good for them but if you let me make it really 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 horrible for them they will spit in your face and God says challenge accepted have you considered my servant Job have you ever thought that maybe your challenge in life was an argument that began in heaven and was concocted in hell that that Satan said, if I take this away, they will, I can take them away from you. And God said, you have no idea what this person is made of. You have no idea what they're capable of. You have no idea what my grace can do for somebody. Challenge accepted. It's not always because somebody did something wrong that you're in that situation. Sometimes it's a chance to make things right for the glory of God. Jesus heals that man's eyes. But in this case, he says to him this, hey, stop your sinning or something worse can happen to you. And I see this all the time as a pastor. People come to church excited and they, we've got an incredible 
group, group of musicians and we do these cute little outreaches and they get their baby dedicated, they get baptized in water, they go, go through all this kind of stuff and, and then all of a sudden all of those, those draws pull back. That man or that woman says, hey, listen, we're better if we merge our finances and resources. You be my significant other, my boo. No, you be committed enough to me to say I do. And I won't have to worry about like trying to convince you to come back or you trying to convince me to come back. We make a, a covenant, a commitment. Maybe it is addiction. Not everybody in the world deals with drugs, but th those of you that, you that have struggled with this like I did, you totally understand that it's like, man, if I just, oh, that's just, I could just go back to that. And then the rest of you are kind of like, well, thank, thank goodness I'm not like that sinner up there. I'm not that drug addict or whatever. Oh, my goodness. Bitterness. Pride. Lust. Anger. I could go on and on. There are people that attend church in wheelchairs and they don't even know it because they're crippled. And they can't walk free for God because they're prisoners to their prolarises. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you really want to be set free? Or do you want to be that person that looks from a distance like, no, nah, I'm, I'm totally good. I, you know, I got it going on. I, and the Bible says it like this. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not become entangled in the yoke of bondage. Again, in other words, if God set you free from something, be aware that it wants to re-entangle you in that thing. Bitterness critical spirit oh my goodness I want to be that this is the beauty of this story the beauty of the story that I love about this is right in that first phrase at the beginning after this after what after Jesus went out of his way to find a woman at the well who was the least likely person uh, the, 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 the most filthy morally corrupt lady of the village she had to go to the water when nobody else would be there nobody wanted to be there when she was and and Jesus goes out of his way and shares life and she gets so transformed she tells everybody who Jesus is and what he did and then he doesn't end the story there but now he goes to the the pool Bethesda the outpouring of God's mercy and grace a guy that can't even get himself 38 feet to temple 38 inches to the pool let alone for 38 years and he says you don't have to try and figure out how to get to the miracle the miracle is coming to you in the name of Jesus arise and walk what is crippling your life here this morning what is keeping you from being everything that God and doing everything that God and seeing everything that God has for your life? He is called to give you life and life more abundantly. And he asked this morning, do you want to be pitied or do you want to walk? Do you want to, to, to have control or do you want to walk? Do you do you want to do you want to be healed do you want to be whole and and God goes out of his way and here's the thing you can answer yes to everything that Jesus said and all that kind of stuff and the truth of the matter is at the end of the day I am so powerless to change my life I can't even make myself a good person can I just tell you the confessions of a pastor I can't even make myself right in the heart I look at some people and I'm like I can't stand that person's attitude that person is only even people I am totally justified I look at the way that people behave and I'm like that person makes me sick sick. I can't even handle like that. I need to be the person that loves that person. I look at myself, I'm like, oh God, I can't even be right on the inside, let alone the outside. My goodness, I'm not even better than a drug addict that can't walk three seconds. I've got my own crippling situations. God, I don't know what to do. And the Lord says, you know what? The place of my, the place of Bethesda is not just a place where I don't give you what you deserve, Paul. It is a place of grace where I give you what you don't deserve. You can't earn it. You can't reach that pool any more than you can reach that temple. You just have to know how powerless you are. Do you want to be made whole? Yes, God. Then pick up your mat and walk. Lord, aren't you going to put me on a program of rehabilitation? And Paul, pick up your mat and walk. Lord, don't I have to like, you know, make these changes? 
Paul, pick up your mat and walk. I mean, God, don't I need time before I can feel good enough to do this? You know, like rehabilitation because, you know, my, my, my head is saying this and my heart's saying, Paul, stop talking. Pick up your mat. Rise and walk. Do you want to be whole this morning? Do you want to be healed this morning? Do you want your, your heart or your attitude or maybe even your physical body healed this morning? In this room, we've got hepatitis. We've got AIDS. We've got life-threatening diseases. We've got drug addiction. We've got marriages spiraling down the bowl. We've got people that are trapped in bitterness and discouragement and depression and suicide. My question to you this morning is this. Do you want to be whole? Because Jesus is here this morning and he wants to look you in the heart and he wants to look you in the head and he wants to move you past all that and say it's really simple pick up your mat and walk for me pick up your mat and give me control pick up your mat it's that simple and as the worship team sings this song here's here's the step Jesus could have given all kinds of different things pick up here's the step it's simple you pick yourself up and you bring yourself here and you do business with God and say, oh God, free me and keep me free. God, heal me and keep me healed. Jesus, change me and keep me changed. Don't let me fall back to that pool. You know what that life looks like. You know how powerless it is. Jesus, if you are powerful enough to heal a crippled at the pool of Bethesda, then you can heal my marriage. You can heal my mind. You can heal my spirit. Jesus says to you, pick up your mat. In the name of Jesus, rise. Don't try and figure it out. Walk to him. Walk for him. For the glory of God. If that's you and you want God to change you, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to walk. You're going to have to walk. Do you want to be whole? Do you want your life healed? Do you want to be changed? Then as they sing this song, from the proudest to the humblest, walk to the front here. Because I don't have what you need. And if you had what you needed, you wouldn't be saying that's me. Jesus has it. And he's here this morning. And he wants to do a miracle for your life, for your mind, for your marriage. Amen? Receive from God. We'll come back in a few moments and close in prayer.
sing this with them as they're singing it. We're not going to stop them, but across this room, I wonder if we can call out on that name right here, right now. If you need God's healing, God's hope, I want you to call on him. Say, Jesus, use your mouth, church. Use your mouth. Jesus, help me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, heal me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray the name that is above every name, Father, would do what we cannot do. I pray miracles take place. I know at this altar there's cancer. I know at this altar there are marriages falling apart. But you say, Lord, the world says to us, you made your bed, sleep in it. That's not what you say to them today. You say in my name, the name above every name, get up and walk for me. Get up and walk for me. Father, in the name of Jesus, bring miracles here today. In the name of Jesus, bring miracles today, Father. In Jesus' side to this story. Some of you are here, you know, sometimes church seems like this place that really is for everybody that's messed up. But like, what if I'm not messed up? This is really great news, is that this is completely for us as well, too. There was another crippled man when Jesus was in his hometown of Capernaum at his place, and he was preaching, and everybody was tripping all over each other. Let's just get close to Jesus. He'll give us a miracle. They were all, you know, groupies and and there was no way that this friend could get to him. He was crippled, just like this guy. And the four friends just said, man, you know, all we need to do is get this guy, our friend, to that guy, and everything's going to change, but we can't get to him. How are we going to do it? And one of them's like, I got an idea. Let's climb up on the roof and rip the roof off. Like, let's to totally go to the barriers and the boundaries that are keeping them from getting to Jesus. And let's totally remove those boundaries. How about that? And so then what happens? These four guys, each of them takes a corner of that mat and a rope and they rip open the roof and they lower their buddy down. And as he's in front of them, Jesus says, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat, rise and walk. You know, the truth of the matter is some of you here in front, you believe it would be easier for a cripple to be healed than God to forgive you of your willful sin. But God is not limited by sickness any more than he is sin. And he looks at the man, and he says, but that you might know that the son of man has the power to forgive sin, pick up your mat, rise and walk. You know what? You know what that that those four guys lowering the rope down. You know what that's called? It's called small groups. It's called community. It's called having people that if you were to disappear, that they care enough to know that you're missing. And you got to put yourself in those communities. You got to put yourself in groups. You got to put yourself in youth group. You got to put yourself in in small groups. You got to put yourself in a place. You, and, and you know how that happens? It's like it starts off with somebody saying, "Hey, I don't know who you are, but we're going to totally do it." You know what I did today after church? After we're done, I said to three guys in this church, I said, "Hey, let's hang out." Let's go somewhere. So after church, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, instead of me going back and binging Netflix, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of me cooking on my grill, I'm going to go with these three guys, and we're going to go someplace, and we're going to hang out. Because you know what? If I disappear from this place, I want to know that somebody is going to look for me. You're loved. You're known by God. And if you're here today, and you're like, well, I'm not sick, and I don't need healing, and I'm just like that, be a rope holder for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for every miracle you brought today. Thank you for every encouragement that was sown today. Thank you for everything that you've done today. And Father, we take it with us, whether it's our healing to walk or whether it's looking for a roof to rip and a rope to hold to bring and remove the barriers from somebody and who you are. Father, we go in the grace and the glory of God, and we thank you for it all. And everybody said, 
Amen. God bless you as you go. Thank you for being here today. See you next week. Take those Easter cards. Invite somebody to sit with your family.